to his left and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Ireland's uh, first game of the November series began with a lot of moans and groans and oh, for fuck's sakes, as they threw some passes behind their wonderful, uh, soon-to-be-wonderful attacking lines against Japan. The same thing happened in the first five minutes against Argentina as Conor Murray repeatedly, really slowly, rolled the ball back to the back of Rooks and kicked them up in the air like the bad old days were back. Uh, where, where, where do you think he fits into the new Irish uh, running rugby football style? Well... He doesn't is is uh, is the short answer. Uh, Conor Murray's been Ireland's greatest scrum half, but I think the first half of the Argentina game showed that he's a bad fit for how uh, the team currently want to play. He was a real anomaly. I felt that um, I even on the rewatch when it, I I wasn't as as harsh on him. It felt it felt worse the first time. I actually him. My God, this guy is really slowing things down. When I rewatched it again, it's like, as often happens, you have an exaggerated idea of what you're going to see. So when it's not as, it's like when you've watched a team that's lost, you go, oh, we weren't that bad. You know, whereas in reality, you lost and you sort of were that bad. So he was slow and it was a big change when Craig Casey came on relatively early in the second half. All of a sudden, the pace of the game went up a notch. Ireland kicked less, attacked. Uh, more accurately as well because the passes were out in front of people. So like, I've been a huge Conor Murray fan. I think with that said, I've been sort of quite realistic about it. I think he's a diminished player since the injury that he suffered in 2018. I don't think he's ever got back um, to the brilliant level he showed before then for a number of years in a row. And um, I think now his value is... is I, his value is is potentially still as a, a substitute uh, because of his huge experience, his kicking game, his size, tackling, etc. cetera. Uh, but I don't think he fits in how Ireland are trying to play the game. We went to the match together and I turned around during it to you and I just said, oh, Murray's lost the room. And it's it's kind of amazing to me how much... Like say, say a winger who's really quick and you could see how they'd lose pace or a centre. Like say Darcy, for example. Like Darcy talks about it in his um, in his newspaper columns about not having the same physical prowess. So you could see somebody with that f- explosive power and that ability to jink and that when that was gone, that he didn't have the size to avoid people. So he had to sort of try to take them on physically and that was never going to work. Excuse me, it was never going to work for him. Whereas for Murray... You never. You would have said like his his uh, speed of thought and his skills were the most important thing, and yet he. It's just baffling how far off he is from what he was like in twenty eighteen. Um. To the extent where you 
you'd look at it and go, geez, like Luke McGrath should be ahead of him. Yeah. Well, the physical prowess is a big thing for Conor Murray. Like, we had this discussion briefly. I can't remember if it was on the day of the match or if it was afterwards uh, about how many tries he would score in a season. Like, I, he scored in, uh, in the 2017 18 season for Munster. I think he scored seven tries. Like, he used to chip in with a lot of tries. I think he scored. You might check this out for me. Like he's in, uh, he scored three tries or five tries in one season for Ireland in about 2015 or 2016. Like he was a big physical threat around the sides of, of Rooks. Not just close in on the try scoring end of things, but at any stage on the field, he could break a tackle and, and make a break. That part of his game has essentially just disappeared. I really think about it. When's the last time? Like he made, he made, he got on the end of a break, then the left wing in the first half uh, of this of this game. But as a breaking threat, he's he's just not the same player that he was. And yet, if I was picking Munster's team, like I'd I'd have Murray ahead of Casey. That there's there's lit. I haven't seen enough from Casey to make me think. It's not that I haven't watched him that much, but like from what I've seen. I haven't seen enough to say, oh, he should be ahead of Conor Murray. So where I was going with that is that Farrell seems to be a super selector now. That that's the kind of the that's the latest way the wind is blowing. That'd be one of the ways that I look at it. And yet he he keeps Murray in the team. Um and Farrell used this phrase, which I think we referred to last week, about everyone wants to see the next cab and the rank. And it's Ah, like it didn't get the the replay or the airtime it deserves because to my mind it's it's just a it's a brilliant metaphor to um the demand just just to see the next new thing constant churn like constant when you when you read below the line it's like always oh we need to see more players you should have used this opportunity to blood more players and you're going mate the whole thing about being an international coach is winning every game and just building momentum and never losing momentum and even like how much change happens in a team when you change th- when you select three to four different players you don't like you don't need to change 12 people to see a big impact so allowing for all that Conor Murray is still selected and whether it's because they see something in training or they hope it's it's going to come back or that look he just is better than he is better than Doak he is better than Luke McGrath he is better than Cooney so a lot of good scrum halves around in Ireland, you know. As we said this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, you've got Marmion and Blade, Doak and Cooney, McGrath and Gibson Park, Murray and Casey. Like they're, they're, We've never been as strong a, a scrum half in, in Ireland. Um, so, like, I, I think that the way Farrell's looking at it, it's, a, it's about having experience and big characters on the bench does an awful lot for the team. Earls, O'Mahony, um, Murray, Keane Healy. Uh, and you know you can't they can't all it's not just like a dad's army or a bunch of old stagers like there has to be pop there as well but there's real value in experience on the bench and I think that's where Murray's value going forward is definitely going to be I don't see him uh, this might sound controversial but to me it's just seems completely plausible I see him being just third choice and if the first choice gets injured he's still third choice like he he's he's on the bench, sorry, for all the games. It's either Gibson Park starts or somebody else starts, and Murray's on the bench. Like I don't see him coming back to take the number one spot unless he changes his game. Like my feeling is that he can't change his game. He can't change his tempo. 
So Ant is is halfback partner because I think that's where uh, that's where this discussion is going. A guy who I expected Conor Murray to do better and Joey Carberry to do worse, but what panned out was that in my eyes certainly Joey Carberry did better and Conor Murray did worse. What was your take on it? I feel that Joey is an absolute pleasure rugby player to watch who still doesn't convince me as an out-half. I've thought for a number of seasons that his, his best position is full-back. When he went to full-back, I was, I was amazed. I didn't, think, I didn't think that was going to be pulled. Like, you're sort of going, right, he'll, Carberry gets injured, he's going to put on Harry Byrne, it's straight for straight. Carberry went to the touchline, and then all of a sudden ran back out, and you're kind of going, Jesus, brilliant. And even without him getting the ball, I thought, we have a completely different shape in attack. Um, and we didn't really, but <laughs> the match didn't play out like that. But you're still thinking we have a completely different shape and attack to anything that we've had. I'm trying to think a time that an Ireland team has has, has had that. Um, and, and w- sorry, at what at what stage should we have a different shape and attack? We had the potential once Carberry went to fullback with Harry Byrne on the pitch and with Casey. I thought that we can we can move this either way. We, we can play with a different sort of width. We can play with in different areas of the pitch than we can ask questions of their defense that we've, we, we can't ask. Because as much and all as like, oh, it's great that Tyke Furlong goes in and he handles, like he's not an out half. And okay, more and more people have got comfortable with uh, distributing the ball, but not not as not as practiced out halves, not as going in as like practice first receivers, organizing a back line around them. So I felt and and Joey's running ability, like Joey made one counter attack where he threw in a little shoulder drop and a, a drop and a step, and he he just he went through a gap, and you're there going, I feel like I'm smiling here because he's such a pleasure to watch as a footballer in terms of his attacking, his gliding, his like you know his his passing ability and yet as an out half a lot of the times like he starts on the right and then runs to the left and you're kind of thinking jesus because you just run out of ideas already like he could can you not come up with an idea before he gets the ball and i thought when harry byrne came on that the shape was much better in ireland's attack i thought harry organized the midfield around him and his runners and like got people running and party is sort of thinking like to what effect like are they just running through a load of like really slick choreographed phases and then harry pushed everything so to my mind watching it harry byrne looked like a guy who was desperate to make up for lost to make up for lost time and forced absolutely everything and didn't actually play that well as a consequence of just making so many mistakes but looked the part like, is a beautiful pass with the ball, takes it nice and flat, is bigger than you think, organises everybody really well around him. Look, to my mind, a much more convincing out-half than Joey. Yeah, he's very crisp. Yeah. Like, I feel that Joey is, like, very... He's got this weird glamour. And I say he's glamour in, like, the old sort of Celtic way, this weird sort of faziness around the edges. Like, Joey runs very often at 45 degrees as, as an out-half, which is just... So frustrating to see. He runs towards players and then passes the ball to him. You just go, for fuck's sake, don't do that. You know, you have to, like, Jesus, square your hips all the time. I feel that he he even runs sort of backwards sometimes. And like sometimes I think, like, 
Do people think that Joey is like just this ineffable willow the wisp and everything he does is good? Because that is not fucking good out half play. That's bad out half play. And just because Joey Carberry's doing it doesn't make it good. Like to me, Harry Byrne is just like made a load of mistakes and tried too hard. And you go, that was exactly what I wanted to see him doing. If you want somebody to like stand, you know, four yards deeper and just pass it on to the next guy and just Billy Burns the ball around the pitch. Pick Ross. Just pick fucking <laughs> pick Billy Burns, I was gonna say. Um, but like if you want like you're going to have to be a special player to be a quality at half you're going to have to it's not just about just doing the simple things well that to me is like especially in the context of that game when he came on with half an hour to play game was in the bag when he came on against 14 men I think he, we played about 3 minutes against 15 and then Lavanini got sent off like we were not going to lose that game also just the shape the game was gone even regardless of 14 men we were going to win it was about him, as you say, making up for lost time and showing like his point of difference is like, I've got fucking mad skills. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like he didn't take over the kicking or the out of hand or goal kicking and he made loads of like errors. And he didn't make loads of errors. He made a number of errors. Like the, the wide pass that didn't pick out Tyg, I was thinking like, he didn't pick out Tyg because of the contrary to what you know, people might say about Tyg. Like, Tyg isn't actually that fucking fast. If there'd been a right winger there, that would have been an amazing pass. He had one like kick dead, a cross kick dead on advantage, which was a bad kick. And then he had a forward pass, which was a, like a millimeter forward. Like, that is what it is. I don't mind, in the context of that particular game, any of those mistakes. But on the other hand, I don't also see like where his route of progress is going to come over the next two years. I mean, on a similar idea, I don't see where this Ireland could have two playmakers thing is ever going to happen because our best twelve is like our best twelve is Robbie Henshaw. He's never going to get dropped for someone like Frawley, and Joey Harby doesn't deserve to play fullback ahead of Hugo Keenan. No, Hugo Keenan is quite playmakery though. Hugo Keenan pops up a lot. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing with James Lowe pops up in the middle of the field a lot. And you're going, and they can both pass. So I was like, I was surprised to see Garby go to 15 because I just thought like 50 minutes, like Garby, if he's not fucking injured, <laughs> they're going to get him off before he gets injured. <laughs> I couldn't believe they were leaving him on for another half hour. Um, and, and I... I I like him at fullback, but like I sort of feel that like it's one thing being a good fullback when you're 20 points up and like no team and the other team just wants to get on the fucking plane. <laughs> you know, it's another thing if people are putting you under massive pressure, putting up bombs against you, just having a load of people chasing up and waving their arms in the air. Like I don't see Joey surviving like an aerial bombardment, the fucking bombardment in the uh, in the Six Nations as a fullback. Like, I think akin to what happened to Robbie Henshaw in the first game of 2019. Well, what like, happens in loads to loads of players? I I was going to say that it, it's it's the concentration element and the fitness element of playing fullback as well. So there's certainly, you know, you put up a bomb and somebody jumps into you and people obstruct your vision and all that sort of stuff. But it's also a very lonely position to play in just like how badly wrong things can go when mm. they go wrong for you. Um, and second center is often referred to as the uh, you know the most difficult position to defend. It probably is if that many people say it, but like I, I think of Larmer playing fullback and just looking uncomfortable, like standing in the wrong place, missing kicks, 
like not hooking up with his back three. I think a Stockdale picking there and just like having obvious clangers to go with. Like he's he's a great runner with the ball, but like obvious clanging howlers from again standing in the wrong place, knocking the ball on. Whereas Keenan is invariably in the right place, invariably makes very very few mistakes in terms in in fielding the ball, makes his tackles, and like isn't isn't enough of an attacking threat all the way through the match to I don't think win over the entire crowd. Oh, exactly, I, not Stuart Hogg. Yeah, like he's not not Stuart. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But is comfortably Ireland's best fullback. Because he's a proper fullback rather than a second playmaker. So again, you're kind of going, okay, like, are Ireland ever going to have this? Like, what, what situation could you have two playmakers in? And doesn't that and, be for the whole game? Though? Like, does it does it work? I mean, England have had two playmakers in Ford and Farrell, and you can really trump it. And like, I love it as a as a rugby playmaker. Like, I love the sort of the idea of it. But like, when I practically see what works for England to give the ball to Manu Tuilangi, that's what works. One playmaker, two two playmakers. No difference. Yeah, like you, well, I think what, interestingly what you said was it doesn't have to be for the whole match. It's a sort of, well, we're kind of giving away these places on the bench to everyone, but then is Joey Carby uh, number 23? Is maybe his um, curate's egg career going to be someone who can cover 10 and 15, or did he go down to Munster specifically to play 10? I think he went down to Munster specifically to play 10. And there's news on the Munster front as well, which you may not have heard, in that Larkham isn't going to renew his contract. He's going to leave at the end of this season. Uh, and I think that will have a knock-on effect on Carberry's progression at Munster, which obviously he hasn't played very much. And his form for Munster going into this autumn uh, series for Ireland, I thought was really poor. That was one thing, actually, before I forget, it was like his defence against Argentina was so much better than I thought it would be. Really, quite impressive. But he's he, a great. He's a sm- he's a super rugby player. Yeah, but he's but he he hadn't looked like a super rugby player since his comeback. No, in my eyes, at all. So uh, yeah, it's good to see him perform well. Uh, is he? He? I think he wants to play ten by preference. But when you look at where the talent is in Munster at the moment, uh. With so both. 10 and 15. <laughs> yeah, well, with Healy and... Um, Crowley. And Crowley. Like Crowley, I think both of us would agree, all three of us would agree, like, he's the prize talent of them all. I think he's more talented as an under-20 than Carberry ever was. Oh, I think so. He's more robust as well. I think he does pretty much all the things that Joey does, did at that stage, better. Harry Byrne was... Grand Slam winning out half, and I thought to myself, "Geez, this guy's going to play for for ten years." And then I saw Crowley, and I went, "Jesus, like it's going to be Ward and Campbell." Yeah, these two guys are international class, and it's just hurry up and get them going. And then Healy is your Ross Byrne, yeah, you know? and like he's a big, tall guy who kicks the ball extremely well, and he's got some nice touches out of hand. Doesn't have great foot speed either, and he's very similar actually to Ross Byrne. So you know. It, it's it's funny. It's very difficult to see. I find at the moment difficult to see into the future, <laughs> but I can see like if if Van Gran is going to get his contract renewed, I I thought that the way this was going was that he wouldn't get renewed, but and then Larkin would take over as head coach. But now that's not going to happen. Larkin's going to go back to Australia, 
maybe Van Grand does get renewed rather than losing two coaches. Like Larkham is the senior coach nominally. He's the Lancaster. Um, so I just don't know if Van Grand would say, okay, well, now my out halves are going to be, um, my out half is going to be Crowley, my backup out half is going to be uh, Healy and my fullback is going to be Carberry because he loves Mike Haley, who's been really solid for him. He's got Zebo in the squad, and he's got like they've got loads of fullbacks there. They've got Gallagher as well, um, Shane Daly, who is playing winger at the moment and not really doing it with his career. So it's difficult to know with what what direction Carberry's going. When I say it's difficult to know, impossible to tell. I think he probably still wants to play ten. I think on the Shane Daly point, because he'd be a better fullback is what you're saying. Like he's he's playing in the wing and he's playing first choice rugby and all that, but he he's more of like he's not gonna play for Ireland playing in the wing. No. He could play for Ireland. Himself and Keenan, it was in the match in the Aviva when it was the first match after COVID, the semi final of the league, and Daly played fullback for Munster and Keenan played fullback. And you're look I was looking at it going, either of these guys now. I think these guys are actually one and two because mm-hmm. we don't have a convincing fullback. And I thought Daly was the the pick of them. And he never got picked a fullback again pretty much after no. that. And I really like him as a fullback. I like the height an awful lot. I think it's, a, I think it's great for a fullback to be tall. Uh, and he's got a sort of a longer build-up pace. He's not like super quick off the mark. And you look at him who he's up against as a winger, like right or left. Balakum, Lowe, Stockdale, Larmer, Earls, Conway. Like he's fucking nowhere in that conversation. Yeah. And for some reason, Van Grand won't pick him at 13. You know, you see, again, which is a position he played as, a, as an age grade player, as an under 20 in James Ryan and, and Stockdale's team. He was, he was the number 13. And he's going, the guy can like, just pick that guy at 13 or 15. He can play 11. That gives him a really good shout for the number 23 jersey for Ireland. And just picking him as a winger all the time doesn't. Yeah. It puts him nowhere near Ireland. It's just, just it's, it's, a, it's one thing where I just don't, like there's certain things about Van Grand's selections which don't understand, but it's neither right or here nor there. I think we wandered a little bit off with Ireland chat. So we let's did. talk about our other uh, fantastic playmakers, the front row. Oh yes, my favourites. Um, do we really need another out half in the squad when we have Tyke Furlong? Oh, I fucking love Tyke. I do love Tyke. Love hate with Tyke. Back to love. Don't hate. No, oh, hate is oh, a bit strong. Oh, mate. You can pick him at 10 playing tight head. <laughs> I never hated Tyke. Don't know why I said it was love hate. But there was a, a portion of like 2019 when Tyke wasn't playing well. I was like, oh, God, stop talking about the jukebox. Other people this is, not him. He can talk about himself if he wants. But he's back to playing fucking amazing he would have been my man in the match against Argentina just thought he like it was a bit of a show busy tight head performance but like it was fantastic and then Kelleher could also legitimately have been man in the match Porter sort of not really but he's just deadly so that they look the three of them together it's like the good old days Serge Simon Vincent Moscato and the other lad Jambert Jambert um, that's even better than that. What I said, what I said in my text to you guys earlier was, it's as good a front row as Ferris O'Brien and Hazel Boer back row. Disgusted. Do you think that's an overstatement? I I think um, 
maybe only because Andrew Porter doesn't have the doesn't have a whatever a Six Nations under his belt as a loose head yet. But I mean, he looks fantastic. I always thought he was a great player when he was playing Tidehead. Always been a huge fan of him. And Ronan Kelleher, it's kind of it's creepy how unbelievably good he is at rugby. And like the obvious thing was, oh, he has to be bad at something. And it was like his line out throwing wasn't perfect. And now it seems to be his line out throwing has been pretty flawless throughout this. Like it's been. If there's been a flaw, it's been like completely within the margin of error for any, yeah, any, exactly. any, any line out thrower. And he his power and speed and ability to get over the line with the ball is frightening. How he didn't score against Japan it blows my mind because the guy scores in pretty much every game he plays. And his tackling and everything and how quickly you become accustomed to it. Because I was there thinking to myself, oh, yeah, yeah, like, you know, Keller is great, but like, who's the second choice? And I was like, oh, God, like, is it Rob Herring? Seems like. And Rob Herring was starting in the Six Nations. He was starting in the summertime. Like he's, and he seems he seems miles away um, from. He seems miles like it, it's Herring. It, sorry, uh, Keller is so obviously the first choice now that he's he's just seamlessly. And you kind of convince yourself, oh, yeah, we we always had that wealth, but he's he's oh, he's super. He's he's the real deal. He's great. He's so good. He's such a good player, and he's so young. In the second row, um, we, we commented about having, you know, three really good ones who, who are mainly going to fill up the places. And with all the changing around, it seemed like Baird is the next cab off the rank, as it were. Um, how do you see his, him in comparison to other pretenders to that fourth spot? position in the second row so I, I don't think there are any other pretenders uh, there's like there's there's four guys there, and very much there's three three it depends what your take is because like, I'm, I'm curious about this i was quite i was keen to see tyke burn in a second row with hendy and would have rotated james ryan out just to see something different because i do see the three of them very little between them. Yeah. And you were, no, 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 no. So I'm sort of curious to flesh out why... There are three of them and Alalai. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's three. I think that they're the big three, then a gap, then Baird, then a gap. Yeah. That's where I see it at the moment. Baird well, like has, 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 has Tyke Byrne transformed himself oh, in God. I don't think a he's transformed himself. Or, just like, like in, your, in your mind? In my, in my mind, yeah. He's transformed my mind. I've like like opened the doors of perception to Tyg Byrne. His performance there in the last day has and Polly mentioned it um about you know, he wasn't he wasn't gonna be he wasn't he was gonna be covering the back row, then he was gonna be playing in the second row, and then he was gonna then he, in the middle of the game he took over the line out calling. Like I th- I was so impressed with him. I was so impressed with him. He also scrummaged on the right hand side when James Ryan went off. So he's like against Argentina now. Obviously, they lost their their own tight head second row uh, around about the fifty five minute mark. Uh, but like, he just took on a load of responsibilities at real short notice, and he's he does a lot of things really well. Like he is as good a tip on or a tip in passer as anybody in the game in world rugby. Like he had that season playing for the Scarlets when he played everything. I think he was. Pro half, fourteen <laughs> forward of the, I think he was the player. Player of the season. Player of the season. He was he was absolutely brilliant. The season that they won it, 
and you kind of kind of think, oh, you know, can they bring him? Can they pick him for Ireland if he's coming back to Ireland? If it's been if he's been signed, and then he came back and it took him ages to get picked. No, no, no. They picked him. They picked him started, for the Australia he, tour. He started against <laughs> Wales in Cardiff, which was just like the Nadir. As much as people talk about the World Cup, like to my mind, getting beat by hammered out the gate by Wales in Cardiff was the, the Nadir of Joe Schmidt's reign, and. That was the start that I remember for Tyg Byrne, like in a big match. Mm. And geez, like, you know, what did he do? Like, he, he didn't do particularly well, but like, no one did particularly well. And then you sort of go, no, he's not big enough. He's not strong enough. Da, 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 da. But like, to my mind, Henderson has played really well for the past season and a half. I know you say, well, that's because he had the lines to incentivize him. Loves the lines. But the two of them are ahead of James Ryan in, in, in pure performance. Like, James Ryan hasn't played, like, James Ryan, I don't want to say, well, I was going to say it. I've paused too much. Like he's he's has he has he become Connor Murray just earlier in his career? Like because he's he he was the same age as Maro Atoji, and I didn't see much between them when they were younger. And there's matches when James Ryan has played against Atoji where he's been as good, if not better. But yeah, Atoji's been on two lines tours. Not that this is like the be all and end all. Has played in the World Cup final, starts all these Test matches, and like just does it match after match after match. Whereas James Ryan has struggled to maintain that impact and anything like, you know, hasn't had that impact and hasn't had that sort of consistency. And, like, he's he's got a lot of things that you look for in a second row. And I think he can be... I just think he hasn't been in good form for about a season and a half. Yeah, I don't think he's... I agree. I, he hasn't been in, in uh, good form. Is it a season and a half long... No, I don't think so. Like, if you remember, the Autumn Nations Cup isn't actually all that long ago. Um, it's like this time last year. He actually played very well. Now, probably our best forward against England in the, in that sort of series of fixtures. He came into the into the Six Nations and didn't. You know, he had mismatches with concussion and things like that. That's what, my worry for him is all about concussion. Mm. Um, like, I I just don't know where he. He stands in that at the moment, and if it's if if, if Leinster and he will take a sort of a, a Keelan Doris type approach to it and, and not play for a number of months, um, yeah, like his 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 game. I think he's he's his form in twenty twenty one has probably been probably the like the lowest of his career. I, for me, I have no worries that he'll come back from it. You know, it's much more the, the concussion or head injuries that I'm concerned about like i would have no problem with on the basis of the last two weeks with with uh burn and henderson starting and and like ryan being on the bench for for games like i think that's much is he better off not being on the bench at all he's better off not playing rugby for oh no 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 yeah like my, my feeling would be like, time yeah. it could be it could be, that could be the best thing from like i'm not a medical profession in this regard but just with regards to the over, like the, the big three are more, it used to be for me, it was like James Ryan plus one. And now it's more like the big three can just rotate whichever way suits. And I think that's a way in that you just reward who's playing well. And that's where like you can still, you can still change a team to form, but you're just not going, I'm going to throw this. It's not like bringing a, a shoe, like a silver slipper around to the whole fucking rugby circle or whoever fits this. You know, it's going to fit one of three people or two or three people. And that's who plays. Uh, I think Baird is is like so definitely the fourth choice. I don't think there's anyone else near him for that. 
and I, obviously he's going to get better and better. You know, and if, for example, if James Ryan gets rested or gets stood down, that leads to more time at the coal face uh, for Ryan Baird, which at Leinster and Ireland, which is just a good thing for him. Like as you saw from his run, like it's just like that is like I can't faster uh, than Tom Croft ever was. I yeah, I can't I can't think of I can think of one comparison, like you know, if Kieran Treadwell got the ball, but I can't think of Kieran Treadwell ever doing that for Ireland. Mm. Can like, Kieran Treadwell got what like two starts, one start, and a and a, a sub appearance in that yeah, tour of Japan like that, and America. Yeah. You just know that Kieran Treadwell was like fast. He's a hurdler and he's yeah. second row, but. The idea of Ireland having somebody who can out sprint, and there's there's a great picture, and I hope he has like I hope somebody gets it for him and prints it out for him. The Dan Sheridan photo of the whole Argentinian team chasing. Yeah, him. yeah like, it's like the Maradona <laughs> he, photo, and he looks like, he looks the most athletic person in the photo. Like there's five Argentinian guys, and they're all blowing, trying to catch up, and he just like he's got this brilliant athletic stride, and he looks purposeful, and like you just kind of go on. We've never had that. Ireland has never had. Yeah. And so have, few, but like, yeah. there's not many people. Not many countries. Not it. many countries have had it. So it's. And again, you go back to like pick your best athletes and get guys out in the park. And I think this is what Farrell has done really well. Um, by accident or design, he's. Well, it seems like it must be more by design if he's picked such a consistent team over the last three tests. Like the really the the so many constituent parts of the team stayed the same. Obviously, changed halfbacks, but the front row, back row, and the second row two out of three each time. Mm. All the same, which I like. Yeah, like fullback always the same, and centers centers is kind of two out of three, and exactly. Like, I was talking about that. We were talking about that briefly about like you've got your big three at second row. You've got your big uh, big three plus one at second row, but you've only got a big three in the centres. You've got Aki Henshaw, uh, Ringrose, and then I think like I looked briefly through the um, through the squad makeup today, and I was like, three of the players who didn't get any game time were three out of eight or three out of seven players who didn't get any any game time were Hench or were um, Frawley. McCloskey and Hume, three centers. So he brought a lot of centers in, and then he's there going like, "I only want to pick these three centers." And he had Tom Daly. So people again going back to the cab at the rank, and Tom Daly gave an interview during the summertime about you know he'd where his career was, and Tom. So Tom Daly, to give him mole context, was one of a, a four up class. And when we used to do interview or articles rather, we did the, the five ups and choose chose one from each province from that year's under twenties and then concentrating them. In the second year of doing it, the four best players were all centers. It was like uh um uh, Scannell, Rory Scannell, mm. uh Robbie Henshaw, Stuart Olding and Tom Daly. And so one from each province. One mm. from each province. And like, had we kept on doing it, like how interesting would that have been? Like who, <laughs> like Stuart Olding, it was, Stuart Olding is like a, an article in himself. And the Tom Daly then was, was on the radar. But like Tom Daly was playing league rugby for, for Lansdowne. Like he was, I knew he was doing physio from writing those articles and it looked like that's what he was going to be working as in two seasons time. 
And then he talks about getting the call from Andy Friend, going over to Connacht, getting game time for Connacht, becoming like, I don't know, was he Connacht's player of the year? But he was certainly, you know, and he, on the back of it, he got into the Ireland squad and then he started thinking, oh, like, you know, I'll probably, I've been called up, like I'll probably get a few minutes against America, you know, fingers crossed. And you're kind of going, ah, he probably will. And Farrell didn't pick him. <laughs> you're kind of going, is Farrell a bit of a bollocks there? Like, is there not, it's not the room, like, to make somebody's dream come true, really, because... Um, and there wasn't. He just, he, he didn't fit. I love this discussion because I think, I think that there is, like, I think that Farrell looks at players and he wants to reward some players. Like, I think he wants to make sure that Keith Earls get 100 caps because I think he looks at Earls and he just thinks the value that this guy brings to the squad is huge. He wants to see him properly rewarded. Like, Earls, he's up on, like, 96, I think. And, like, there's quite a lot of, Big time players like Rob Kearney, for example, who got really close and never made the the hundred caps club. Peter Stringer uh, struck Stringer. on ninety nine, and you think, ah, yeah, sure. Like I mean, Peter Stringer played for about four seasons professionally at the top level after yeah. getting picked for Ireland, and you think, what they can never put him on the bench again? Yeah. Just like squeeze one more cap out. No, they can't. And you gone, but he's better than the Welsh organised the whole friendly to or friendly Shane Williams. No, uh, the Martin Williams. Oh, you're right, God. And then Rob Kearney, and I was reading this about, and I went, geez, Rob got stuck on 95. And you sort of think, oh, you see all these, and they play so many matches, and they pick all the same players. Like, you know, loads of guys get up to 100, and you go, there's a few notable guys get stuck yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. So, so I, you, you think Earlsy, you think I Farrell's think, I think Farrell's, like, way. he recognises, like, he's like, Earlsy is something special. He thinks that, like, it would be the good thing to do for the team... Because he's been playing Earls as like a like utility back outside centre and this like and he's 34. <laughs> you know, it's like this is not a long-term solution. And his liver is in the wrong place. And his liver and he is can't, taped. Can't, he can't breathe properly. His liver is taped up. It's amazing. But I think like everyone recognizes the value in Keith Earls, like his personality. It's something that is like tremendously like endearing about him he's really really genuine I was having this conversation earlier on about like people saying what they really think and while it might not always be comfortable it's generally better for everyone that they 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 just voice it rather than trying to be polite Mm. and Earls comes across as a really really genuine guy yeah so I think my my feeling is like he's Farrell is big from and he's said as much about people the the what they bring to the training room, the dressing room, the uh, dinner table, like they're how they are as people and how they help other people. And I think he's like, he wants to reward that. But on the other hand, he's not just, I don't think, I think he wants to give people a chance, but he's not just like, oh, it's, it's like, I'm going to give everyone a chance. I think he wants to make the team a really big, strong, successful team, which is tight and wins all his games and builds momentum. Um, in terms of talking about really big, strong, tall, intensive things that make people successful, yes, I think we owe somebody. We, me, I, I think oh, so <laughs> think you owe somebody an apology. I think I owe somebody an apology. I think I owe a whole taxi cab rank of people <laughs> apologies. So my cat. Oh my god, I owe my cat Paul an apology. I, ca- yeah. I can't believe I, I was thinking about it during the week that I went, how on earth were we trying to scratching our heads going like what made Ireland really good? And I didn't spend 25 minutes talking about Paul O'Connell. I talked about your man, the, Gary Keegan, the, the, the head doctor. 
As soon as Paulie came into the squad, things have got better. And the reason I am apology is when he came into the squad, I was not uh, that blown away by Paul O'Connell as coming in as a coach. Now, we talked about him previously in um, the longest running segment of the show about who should be the Ireland team manager, which I think we should bring back. Um, Paulie's dad, possibly. <laughs> as... As one of the best candidates, and all we did was just like name former Irish captains, like it was himself, Rory, former Best. second row, basically. Or, <laughs> Don't let it. <laughs> or maybe Birch. Um, Your love of Frano came anything out. Takes, <laughs> anything takes Donald Lennon out of the commentary box, I'm against it. Amen, brother. And so when he came in, I was there going, right, well, this guy was in Stade Francais for about four months and then was with the particularly unimpressive Irish under 20s campaign. I'm not blown away by his credentials to be coaching the Irish forwards, allowing for the fact that he was an absolute legend as an Irish captain. Mm. And yet... Oh, he's done an amazing job. Ireland have got progressively better and better and better um, since he's come in. And his particular portion of expertise has just become amazingly slick. I was like, we... I don't know... Sometimes you see things better on television than you do at the game because the camera can zoom in on them. It's like that the first try, the the first mall try, Josh van der Fleer's try, like the snap with which the ball is thrown hits Ty Burns' hands and then he just snaps it down. He snaps it down as hard as like from full extension right down uh, to his bread uh, his bread bin. And then and, and before it, it's down there almost like, Van der Fleer is in the ball. It was so... I've never seen that portion of a line-out bettered. Maybe I've seen it done as well, but like with just the pace that that was carried out in, you know, the the pace of the throw, the pace that hit his hands, how quickly he was up and down, how quickly he brought the ball down, how quickly Van der Fleer was on the ball. You're going, Jesus, that was... like That's when you're looking at a mall like that, you're going... 10 out of 10, you actually can't do it any, like, meaningfully any better. I'm sure somebody maybe grabbed, like, fucking six inches too high or too low on somebody else's jersey, but, like, that was as good as I've ever seen them all. It was so impressive. And then Ireland's tries came off, like, a really good scrum, get it up on the left, get it down into the 22, and thereafter, like, just blast it over between malls, between short in, close in rooks. Get field position with the line out. <laughs> a lot of meat grinder. The Leinster way. <laughs> totally the Leinster way. See, this is this is the thing that if you're if you're pointing at how Ireland played against Japan and where we scored our tries from with JGP and Sexton on the pitch, and then compare it to what it was like with Murray and Carberry on the pitch, like our attack is brutal. Eight out of nine tries were backs tries against Japan, and seven out of seven were forwards tries against Argentina. Yeah. So like uh, against Argentina, like, there were many field position. And the Argentinian set piece was like just exhausted. Like once Buffelli missed the first kick. Oh my god! I think like the game was up, and then they gave him another chance, and he missed that as well. And like whatever, like how long were Argentina going to last? Like they wanted to be on the plane home. They were looked. They looked absolutely knackered. Like I didn't. I didn't give them much of a chance going into that match because they always struggle playing us in the last match on tour. But where you've been on. Uh, like where you, when you've been in a bubble for as long as they've been in and like Ledesma talked about mental health and just like how long those guys have been away from home 22 away matches in a row oh man like it's just been intense and like th the score is completely unrepresentative of how good a team Argentina were because there's a load of things 
they did. But anyway, he did really well, particularly in contact. But like after Buffetti missed that second kick, like they were gone. But like Argentina were puking up lineups. And oh, like Ryan, Ryan Baird's run came from an Argentinian lineup. Josh van der Fleer made a run from an Argentinian lineup. Like they, they couldn't hit a cow's arse with a banjo, like in the, in the second half. But again, what was really good from Ireland was set piece platform and meat grinder, not backline fluidity. And some of that was like, oh, the Argentines figured out where we're going to attack, you know, the width we're going to attack. And, and sent up a load of shooters. And that allows us to yeah. get up in the middle of the field, you know, run all set up the gut all day. Get the ball to Riggins, god damn it. Riggins is so like Tyke Furlong. How haven't we jumped on that before? <laughs> hey, Sandy baby, loosen up. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I owe Paul O'Connell an apology. I also owe Mike Cat an apology. Like a fucking... Because like... My cat as well has come, as we, like, I certainly just did not see this happening, that we turn out to be, like, the slickest team, slickest version of Ireland since fucking Mick Doyle's 1985 posse, which I would call a posse. Okay, so everyone knows, you can see how uh, Argentina had already adapted to our, uh, like, loops and pod system. What happens when everyone defends against us? differently knowing that that's what we do in the in the six nations what's the does this team already need to evolve or is it kind of is it just about execution of that and then i genuinely think it's just about execution of that and i go back to the match against japan when we were just very simply putting it inside as well as outside like where if somebody was shooting up on us that but like if somebody shoots up on the outside, you just, you just give it back inside to keep them honest. And it's it's pretty more nuanced than this, and Zebra aren't representative of an international defence. But Zebra were giving Leinster trouble earlier on in the season, and Johnny Sexton came on and just completely picked them apart. Now, then Johnny Sexton played the following week, and, you know, the same thing didn't work. But I, I don't think... That's our biggest issue. I think our biggest issue is that we're not the only show in town. Like, um, France beat the All Blacks, and they they did it in a French way, where they 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 scored three tries in the first half and put the game beyond reach. Like, I remember Ireland going up by that amount against Argentina. And then saying, oh, I think we can come back. I think we can come back. Maybe we were saying it afterwards. I think we we're going to come back. And somebody just pointed out to me on Twitter. Because I was like, look, one team in 99 or one team in 100 comes back from 20 points down. Just like statistically speaking, people don't do it. Like you can, you, you might remember it, but like for most of the time, it doesn't even happen. And even for the time when, when they narrow the gap, it doesn't happen. But then the French did it with DuPont and Entomac playing some just otherworldly stuff. And uh, Penno on the wing. So, like, the the really good French players are really, really good. Um, and is like that's just a bit of a worry because, like, what can you do against those guys? That, that's kind of the concern is that it, it doesn't take much for them to uh, – just dip back into their bag of tricks and and be able to produce something, and that you you can always go back and look for it. But like, I I couldn't I I I was watching 
the ball go over the line and Entomac run backwards and then thinking he's he's going to have to kick this or he's going to have to touch this down and they're under a lot of problems. Like, I didn't I didn't see it. it. It's like, what's that thing about talent and genius and talent hitting a target that no one else can hit and genius hitting a target that no one else can see? Like, what Entomac did next was absolute career highlight reel stuff. It was absolutely incredible, breathtaking. Mm. I was watching it on my phone, so I, I couldn't figure out how to rewind, but... Like, I would have rewound it just to check what he did before they even got, like, as soon as the as soon as the penalty, like, as soon as the, the whistle blew and they got the penalty, I'd have rewound that just to go, how did he do that? And it's a long time since I've, I, I've looked at a player and just gone, like, how? Yeah, even in the three-minute highlights version of that game where they only show scoring actions, they still had to fit that bit into the three-minute highlights, even though it was just a run up the pitch that ended in a like tackle and a mall situation. It was because it was it was that good what what he did, and like and the no look pass to sort of crisp like to to finish off the actual counter attack escape with a no look pass. You're just there going, oh, like how incredibly cool! You couldn't you couldn't draw a cartoon of like a pastiche French genius. That would finish with a no look yeah. pass like that, like. Um, but that French team lost, like, found ways to lose plenty of matches, like during the summer against Argentina, or against Australia, I should say. And, I mean, this Australian team has won no games on tour. I, I would be very of the mind that the Southern Hemisphere teams are completely exhausted. I agree. Shattered, shattered. Even the box, like, even the the box have this weird. Intensity, and I call it weird because it is weird. All their fans are weird as well. <laughs> They're so intense and ferocious, and they play this tough as nails game. But like, you would think out of all out of all the teams that that would be the one that is most wearing. But they're the ones who held out the longest. The Bucks, uh, and even in the end, they had to succumb to uh, um, Courtney Laws's Bother Boys, which is they have an interesting selection at the moment. That back five of that pack is interesting. Three second rows and two open sides. Like they've got Underhill, Curry, and then Laws in the back row, and then Itoje and and uh, Johnny Hill in the second row. So you have like sort of two five sixes, a four. Like I always say, five six is like the jumping second row. Even though he like I know he's the five tens of scrummage behind the tight end, but anyway, it's like two five sixes, two sevens, and then a four and no eight. Uh, like it's it's interesting, you know. Like Eddie Jones is once again inventing rugby as he goes along. But yeah, I mean the other the other side of it is the shoe will be on the other foot when it comes to June, and we have to go and play three tests in in New Zealand, having played in Paris and in uh, Twickers. Yeah, that and is going to be that is going to be a real test of depth. And also add to that, all the like lads will have played full season. Yeah, and gone to South Africa for games as well. Good point. Hadn't considered that. But like, so we're going to play three seasons. I think I think Farrell is negotiating or in the process of negotiating. I don't think he's doing it. So I think that there's talk of having two additional matches on that tour. 
uh, a game against the Maori and potentially another another game. How many guys does he want to bring? Potentially two Lions teams with Geech coaching the second one. <laughs> <laughs> the Lions with Geech. <laughs> oh, you love to see it. Um, yeah, if you consider, like, there was, I thought, a little bit of... There's a little bit of talk about how less attritional this game was than Schmidt's. Like, I think there's a cartoon version of Joe Schmidt's rugby being painted by quite a lot of commentators, more more than I thought would have, of of that we played this super limited, bash it up game. Like we bashed it up a fair bit under Schmidt, in especially in 2019, fruitlessly. But for the most part, it was just a super disciplined game. And there's a bit of a cartoon version of it being drawn and, and like people saying oh there's less injuries after we played New Zealand uh, due to the way that we're passing loads and they're going well Gibson Park got injured Johnny Sexton got injured Jack Conan and Ian Henderson pulled out of the next game and maybe they got injured in the warm up maybe they were actually fucking injured from the New Zealand game which seems as likely so you know between the two games between New Zealand and Argentina we were down four players for starters it seems completely plausible, and it's only when I hear you say it now that I think to myself, Jack Cohn and Ian Henderson are looking around and going, I just start. If I can get myself out, I start. If I start, I don't. It's, it's harder for me to lose my place with me taking up one of the places than to let somebody else get a chance. So I just think that guys instinctively know, no matter like how professionalism goes, that if you're out of the team, it's much easier to get dropped. Whereas if you're, if you're in the team and you don't play particularly well, you're still in the team. Mm. Like it's still like the, the blame can be attributed somewhere else. And like they could well have been injured and they're just there going, there's no way I'm giving this up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, to, so, so then the bigger point then is that like four guys were injured after the All Blacks. You know, even if you just say the Hendo's a freak thing on the, like on the absolute day of it. Um, it's still three. I'm going to play this three times in a row. And that's we lose nine slash 12 players. Why are we organizing two extra games? That doesn't make, seem to make any sense. I think because... I think that they want to play A internationals during the Six Nations because there's no um, URC games. And he wants to get extra games into fringe players. Um, which I would love to see. If there's no URC games... And we know there's not, so I'm not saying why that's conditional. Because there's no URC gear, I would love to have an international I'm back. massively in favour of them playing midweek matches. Oh, I, I, I think it's great. I think if... Poverty Bay and Counties Manawatu. Exactly. There's such a thing as too much work. When you get to Wednesday, you're just going, oh my God, is the week not over yet? Just train less. Just, just get over there and train less and play matches and go, if you're in form you have a chance of getting picked. You, you can play play two really good Wednesday matches and you go, ooh, going to the third test against the All Blacks. And rather than it being... Calling Paddy Wallace up from the beach. Exactly that. You're going, oh, I'm actually playing really well here. Like Frawley, I'm playing, for example. Yeah, I'm, or, play, like I'm playing the rugby of my career and looking around. And I, I just think... I think on the 97 tour was such a success for so many reasons and is enshrined in legend because of principally the DVD player. But it was a it was a tour where the guys who got picked for the test team were not the guys you expected. They mm. were guys who were playing the best on tour. And then the midweek team 
a lot of guys got injured. Like Nigel Redman ended up captain in the midweek team, and the midweek team just played better and better and better, and guys kept on coming into it. And that, to my mind, isn't the template. That's just an emblem of what a rugby tour should be like. Like when when you've got so many good guys, and you go back to the idea of the World Cup and the the need for form and the need to have a happy squad. You can't get too carried away with this because, like, if Johnny Sexton is injured and Ty Furlong is injured, like, we're we're really in trouble. You can move Porter back over, but, like, the depth isn't there just because they're so good. And we were in a situation against Japan where Bundy, Henshaw, and Sexton were all missing. And you're looking over to them all in their blazers and they're kind of going, shit, we're in trouble here. Like, we, we don't have replacements for those guys. Like, we, we might have one replacement. Mm-hmm. Like, if Bundy's injured, Robbie plays. And I know we're going back to the World Cup again, but my thing is... Never stop doing that. <laughs> my, my, my thing is, just the last World Cup, the, it's, you're better off playing matches and, and training less. And maybe that goes counterproductive to everything that the, pros, the pro guys say, and I've been out for 45 minutes, but it just, it's not true for rugby. Like, you're, it's, if there's an opportunity for guys to go over to New Zealand and they'd be carrying bags for most of the time, but you know, if they play well, they're going to get an opportunity in that third test. And you go back to the anti, the like what Jack Conan and what Ian Henderson are thinking is that like, if, if you're on the pitch, it's harder to get dropped than it is to get into the team. So if you get your chance and you've been playing well, you can get in and like, Gibson Park is the most recent example. Yeah, and I think of, <coughs> excuse me, think of some other guys who you didn't really feature. Like Ryan Baird only played because in this in this series because Hendo pulled out on the day. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't have played at all. Coombs didn't play, and like Coombs is a guy who everyone, I think everyone wants to see uh, play for Ireland against a good side. Um, and I know we talked in the past about the value of. A internationals like that was a scratch team coming together versus like what's better to play in like an A international or your actual club playing in the URC and you're going, but there's no option anymore. It's like the club aren't playing in the fucking URC. There's no URC on, we would have said Pro 12 or even Rabo 12 at the time. So like I'm, I'm in favor of there. If there's A matches, there's that would be great during the Six Nations. Uh, I'd really like it. And if there's additional, if there's two additional touring games, a game against the Maori and a game against, I don't know, Heartland Champions or something like that, uh, I think that would also be great. Bring a big squad and uh, and everyone um, chip in and sweep the sheds, et cetera, et cetera. Bring the Ranfurly <laughs> Shield up, up to the Northern Hemisphere oh, and put it in a bin. <laughs> oh my God. Imagine taking the Ranfurly Shield away. Jesus, diplomatic incident. Yeah. Poe Jacinda do. Leo and Jacinda. Leo smashes Jacinda over the head with a chair shot then. Oh my God, he said it. <laughs> <laughs>